Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today, I was just thinking about some things, uh, being a native of Louisiana. And in Louisiana, all of, all of you people who are originally from Louisiana, you're born here, just raise your hands. God, this is a whole church. Huh? Maybe Pastor Scott and Kelly, y'all might be the only ones not, right? That's okay. They were absolutely Pastor Rod, New Jersey man. But, but being from Louisiana, you know that we have a lot of festivals, Right? We, we like to meet. We love family. We like getting together. I mean, we're, we're, cel- we're going to celebrate anything, even rabbits, frogs, crawfish, any type of food. I believe in Louisiana, even if they had a skunk, we might want to celebrate that and we might barbecue that thing. It might not smell good, but we might even try to do that. That's what, just what Louisiana people do. We like to celebrate. We like to gather. So today... We're going to start introducing you and giving you a pathway to gather as a spiritual family because that's what we like to do in Louisiana, right? Come on, Louisiana. Come on. Let's, let's get after it today. But, you know, the one thing in our gatherings, we love food. That's just what we do, right? And I've had an opportunity to live in different places. My wife and I, my wife was from Virginia. And so I've had an opportunity to live in Virginia all the way out to Colorado and some other places. And the one thing that I like, because I'm a Louisiana man, I love to eat some good food. And so when I was out in my, uh, the other areas where I was living, it's Colorado in, in general, I would always try to go to a restaurant that may have some Louisiana food. Because I wanted some authentic Louisiana cooking. Come on, folks. Come on, Cajuns and Creoles. We wanted some Louisiana cooking. So there was one time my wife and I, we went to this restaurant. And I'm opening up the menu, and there it is, Louisiana Cajun Creole Gumbo. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, I made it back home. I might not be there, but at least I got something right there that I can put my hands on, and I was ready for it. So I went ahead and ordered it, and my wife was like, Myron, Myron, don't, don't order it. She said, don't you keep doing that. You keep searching for Louisiana food outside of Louisiana. You're getting disappointed. But I said, hey, hey, no, babe. Today is the day. I'm getting that Louisiana food. So I ordered that gumbo, and I remember the server coming out, and I was like, yes, it smells so good. And I just watched, and I looked at it, and I looked at it. And so I said, hey, let me just taste it. So I taste it. I took another taste, and I mean, that gumbo was authentic in name only, (laughs) but not in substance. I mean, they gave me, I don't even know what was in it. It was a tomato-type sauce that was in it, and I felt that I was eating chicken and sausage soup, right, instead of chicken and sausage gumbo, but that gumbo, it didn't have a main ingredient, And the ingredient that that gumbo didn't have, they just didn't understand how to cook a roux. Come on, Louisiana folks, because everybody from Louisiana, you know this, whether it's in your pantry or whether you have an open bottle, open container that's in your refrigerator, you're going to have some Savoy, some Savoy's roux, Richard, or or what about, hey, OSC, Carla and Stacy and that skinny roux? 
right? You're going to have some rule, but you, they were missing the main ingredient. And so this is where I'm going with this. I, I'm going somewhere with this, y'all. When you're missing the main ingredient, it just affects the whole meal, right? It affects the whole meal. That's what happened to the gumbo. And this is what happens as well in the church. About two weeks ago, we had a leadership training meeting, and we talked about groups, and Pastor Scott gave vision. He gave mission about us getting together in groups, and this is what happened. There was a focus, and he changed the name of small groups. Now, how many of you have been in small groups? That's probably 60% of the church been in small groups. And so we've always called it small groups. But you know not that a discipleship group is what we're calling it now. We had to change that name. You know why? Because we wanted to change the focus. We wanted to change the center of attention. So from this day on, can you guys agree with me? We will not call it small groups. What are we going to call it? And if you're cool, you're going to call it D-groups. So for me in my house, because I want to be a little bit cool, I'm 45, I just made it the other day, and my wife did call me old. So I want to call it D-groups so that I can look cool. So the name has changed, and the name has changed because the focus has changed. I want you to know this. A discipleship group can be a small group. But a small group is not necessarily a discipleship group. Why is that? Sometimes it's because it's the focus. It's the center of attention. And this is what happens when small groups, when you're the center of that small group, okay? This is what happens. That small group starts to turn into a cult. That small group starts to turn into a counseling session. Now, I know this because I've been a leader in some small groups, and you know what happens when Jesus is not the center of the small group and you become the center of, of, of the small group? Everybody wants to go to the leader. Like the leader is going to solve all your problems. I'm going to tell you this. The leader can't solve all the problems. Only Jesus Christ who's on the throne knows what you're going through, right? And he's the only one that can make a difference in your life. What about if someone else is the focus of those groups, huh? You know what happens? Sometimes they turn into a dating service. I might be touching somebody right here. Now listen, at, at church, we, we don't mind if, you, if you're falling in love with somebody in the church. Hey, what a great connection. But you know what? Discipleship groups are not purely meant for us to come back and fall in love with one another. It's for us to fall in love with Jesus Christ. And then last and not least, we, we've had some groups that just hung out. We just, well, we're just going a little joy ride. We're just going to hang. We're just going to hang out, just fellowship a little bit. But Jesus wasn't the center of attention. It was about hanging out. And you know what happens when you just hang out? Those groups become social clubs. So we want to give you a different perspective, right? Because this is the key. Some small groups look like discipleship groups, but actually taste like rotary clubs. That's what happened when I was eating that gumbo. I thought it was authentic. I thought I was eating the right thing, but the substance of that meal, I ended up leaving out disappointed, worse than when I came in. 
It's our jobs as pastors to make sure that when you're coming into our care as flock, we want to make sure that we take hold of you. We want to make sure that we care about you. And we want to make sure that the right substance is going in you. And that substance is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ alone is all that you need. Okay? Now, it's not saying that with different groups that you don't have uh, finance groups. You don't have different groups going on. But finance groups, if I'm going to have one, I'm going to show you about your finance, how Jesus Christ taught about it in the word of God. What about marriage groups? I'm going to show you what marriage groups are all about on how you can have a connection with your wife the way Jesus said this between one man and one woman. Everything that we're going to focus on is about what Jesus Christ put in his scripture, and we're just going to just let the pure word of God touch your heart so you can be a disciple. Are you following me? I want you to know this. Your focus will influence your direction. Okay? Even in Jesus' day. We're not the only ones that was making some mistakes in small groups. And yes, we, listen, we've done some great things in small groups. Disciples have been made. I don't want to minimize what we've done as a church family, but we have made some mistakes. But even in Jesus' day, you know what happened? They wanted Jesus to follow their self-absorbed mission. The people were trying to change Jesus, who, what his mission was, because they wanted him to be a part of what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to be their earthly king and not necessarily their sovereign Lord. Is that true with us today? Ask the question. Is that true with us today? Is there sometimes we want Jesus to do certain things, but we're not necessarily willing to surrender our lives to him? We just want Jesus to come back and get a quick fix for us so we can feel good? I'm going to admit that at times that's me, and I have to ask God for repentance Forgive my sins because I'm not focusing on who Jesus Christ is and on his mission. I want you to know today, we want you to stay on mission. Are we good with that? So they wanted Jesus as their sovereign Lord. So when Jesus, they didn't want him as the sovereign Lord. So when Jesus came against them, at first when they thought he was for them, right, they thought he was on their mission. This is what they did. They wanted to escort him to the city of Jerusalem because they thought that he was going to overcome the Romans Right. And also overcome Herod because they wanted to be free from what subjectivity from the Romans. So they were all in the Jesus. Let's go, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. We love you. You're the king. We think you're the Messiah. We're all with you. You're going to save us from the Romans. So they escorted him from Jerusalem, escorted him to Jerusalem. But look what happened. When Jesus called them out and Jesus didn't go their way and Jesus said, I'm going to give you my mission They ended up escorting him, not to Jerusalem. They escorted him to the cross. Think about that. Think about in our lives how sometimes if Jesus isn't doing exactly what we say do, God, I need this right now, and if Jesus doesn't do it, sometimes we want to excommunicate Jesus from our lives. I want you to know that Jesus has something special for us, y'all. Jesus wants to love us. Jesus wants to, wherever you are right now, he wants to meet you where you are, and he wants to transform your life. And so if that's you today, we still want to encourage you, 
even if right now Jesus is not the center of your life, we're not going to condemn you. We're not going to throw you out. We still want you to be a part of this church family and not just be a part of family, but we want you to be a part of discipleship groups because this is what's going to happen in your life. We believe that. You may come in self-absorbed, right? You may come to Jesus self-absorbed, but if you commit to follow him, his word and his spirit will work in you to absorb all of you. And I'm telling you that from personal experience, that you may come in and Jesus might not be the center of your attention, but I can tell you that if you remain in him, Jesus is going to work something in your life and you will never be the same. This is what happened to the prophet Isaiah when he committed to the word of God. Just like I know some of you are about to do today, this is what happened. Listen to this. In Jeremiah 15, 16, it says, your words were found. This is him saying, he says, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. There's something when you connect to Jesus and not just connect, but that relationship continues to grow. When you start to eat the word of God, when you start to consume the word of God, there's something that happens in your life. You start to have joy. You know why? Because you understand that God is sovereign. There's nothing that can come against you. I've overcome the world because Jesus has overcome the world. And your whole perspective in life changes. As Christians, we should be the happiest people on earth. Shouldn't we? Because we know this, it doesn't matter what comes against us. We have a sovereign Lord who's already defeated the enemy on the cross. One thing about Jesus, he wants us to build our life on a strong foundation, and that's him. And I want to ask each and every one of you a question. Please pay attention. And you answer this on your own. Are you building your life on the rock, or are you building your life on sand? Are you building your life on the rock, or are you building your life on sand? Pastor, what do you mean by that? Come with me to Matthew 7, chapter verse 24 through 27, and let's see what this means. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall. Let me explain something. Around the Sea of Galilee in Jesus' time, when it got extremely hot, the sand around it got hard. And it can deceive you. That sand was hard, so it gave you the perception that I can build something on it that wouldn't fall. But a wise builder knew this, and he knew that he had to dig several feet deeper until he got to the bedrock. And as he's building, he, it starts to get truly, truly hard because he understands that if I build my house on this, on this strong foundation, when the wind blows, there's nothing that's going to come against it. He wasn't fooled by the what? The sand. 
And what it's saying in our life is that we have to be wise builders. The sand at times fools us and makes us think that everything is going okay. A lot of times we're building our lives on other things, on other religions. We're building our lives on the idols of this world and not on Jesus Christ. And it's on sinking sand and we don't even know. But what God is saying in this scripture, he's telling us, disciples of God, he's telling us we've got to go a little bit deeper. We've got to start building. We've got to start shoveling. We've got to consume the word of God so the word of God can enter our hearts and we can become strong. And that foundation will keep us from falling. It'll keep us from being discouraged. It will pick us up. It will change our life. And you can walk in, walk in this dark and sick world. You can walk in this dark and sick world and the enemy can't move you. I want you to know that. We've been hit hard in 2021, 2020. The church has been hit. COVID-19 came around. No one expected that. Elections came around. No one expected that. In fact, we've seen individuals in the church who've built their life around a foundation and the rock of Jesus Christ, but we've also seen in the church that many people have built their lives on sand. When things got tough, not only did they leave the local church, but they turned their backs on God. And what I'm telling today is that, and all of you looking at me at on this stage, is that when you build on a solid foundation, Elections can't make you, uh, can't move you. COVID-19 can't move you. The things that's going on in terms of all, uh, in terms of race, all that coming on, it can't move you. You know why? Because you built your life on the word of God. And there's nothing that can shake you. There's nothing that can blow you down because Jesus Christ is your strength. And so that's why we're so we, we talk so much about discipleship groups. That's why we're talking about just building spiritual family. That's why we talk about just having fellowship, not only on Sundays. Yeah, thank God you're here. We want to celebrate every last one of you who are here today. If this is your first steps, thank God. But I can tell you, when you follow Jesus, you won't stay there. You know what? You go from just being a Sunday morning Christian to an everyday Christian. I guarantee you, if you just stay in Jesus Christ. I want to show you this book, and I've told Pastor Scott, I said, Pastor Scott, we need to just bring this book up every single Sunday. Okay? You know why I believe in this book? Because this book points me to the Bible. Now, that's, that's nothing saving about this book. It's the discipleship book. This is what we've been doing. In fact, I have a group of four to five men. We meet on Wednesday nights, and we talk about the Word of God. You know what the discipleship book, and we call it the gold book, you know what it does? It leads people back to the word of God. Now, don't get me wrong. In, my, in the groups that we, I've been leading, in that group, it's been very challenging. Because there are some of us, and I'm including myself as well, we come in with preconceived ideas and beliefs that's been brought forward from our parents, from our past, whatever it is. And the word of God has been challenging the men in that group. And I can tell you this, it hasn't been easy. 
I can tell you this, some men still want to go back and fall on their old beliefs and want to go back to the sand. But as we talk about it, as we communicate, as we communicate as Christian men of God, we can address the tough issues when you address it as a Christian man of God. We address those issues. We talk about those issues. We have some one-on-one with those issues. You know what? We, this, this book leads us to some scriptures, and it's not about Pastor Myron overseeing that group. I have nothing to do with it. We, I lead the individuals back to Jesus Christ, and I'm seeing Jesus start to lift the scales off these men's eyes. They're starting to see clearer, even through the election season. We have individuals in there that have different political affiliation um, beliefs. But you know what? We don't go back to our parties. We go back to our Savior. We go back to the Savior. And I'm, I'm saying this because I hope, I hope I'm convicting someone in this room where you're building on sinking sand. I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is going to convict you today to come back to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, he wants you. He's waiting for you. You know why? He understands everything you're going through because he already lived on this earth and he modeled it for us. He's just telling us, come to me. I am the way and the true life. No one goes to the Father except through me. Why do we keep talking about discipleship? You know why? Because we want you to possess God's character and doing the things that matter to him. There's a scripture that just convicts my heart, convicts my soul. And actually, we read it in the, our discipleship group that night. And I believe it touched a young man. The great commandment, Matthew 22, 37 and 40 says this. And this is Jesus talking. He said, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Listen to this. This is the great and first commandment. Verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And we were talking about loving others in that group. And the young man said, Pastor Myron, it's hard for me to love people that don't think like me. It's hard for me to love people right now in America that's doing all type of things I believe that it's directly against me, and it's hard for me to love them. And so when he was saying that, the next scripture was the great commandment. I didn't have to say a word. You know who spoke to him? The Holy Spirit. You, you know who touched his soul? You know who stopped him right there in his tracks? I didn't have to say anything. God just started speaking to him in that moment. And you can see it, it went from my chest out to more of a humble spirit. And I believe this young man said this, God, my life is in your hands. God, not my will but thine will be done. And the only thing that I had to say to him is that God is sovereign. God loves everybody. God loves those who are not even his children. He died. 
His son died on the cross for our sins. And we just reminded him, every, all the brothers in that group just reminded him about the love of Jesus Christ, the unconditional love, and we don't deserve anything. The only thing that we deserve is the wrath of God, but because of his grace, when we started to talk about God's grace and God's mercies, you started to see that young man come back. And you started to see the spirit of God work in him. That's the power of having people in your life, godly people in your life that care about you, that love you, that's not condemning you, that can say, come on, brother, come back. Let's restore my brother gently. I don't have to use harsh words. You know why we can do that as men of God and women of God? It's because the Holy Spirit is in us. We can't even do that on our own. And then look what happens. The great commandment starts to convict our character. And then the great commission, it says this, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and Jesus came and said to them, listen to this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority? Come on, Midtown, I don't hear you. How much? All authority. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he says, listen to this, verse 20. This is very important. We sometimes just kind of skip through this part, right? We, we say, oh, go, go make disciples. But we don't want to talk about this sometimes in church, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded. Some of the Bible are all. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the world, end of the age. When you understand the great commandment, you will pursue the great commission. You know why? Because it's your character in motion. You can't make disciples if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior. You can't make disciples if you don't love people. We want to make disciples who make disciples. But the first thing that God is telling us, you need to love me and you need to love others. And when you start to love me, you start to love others. You know what? You love everybody. It doesn't matter. And, and, and this, is why, this is what happens with discipleship, y'all. You know why it's so important to us? Because we know there's some lost souls out there and we don't want anybody to experience the wrath of God. You heard what Pastor Scott preached in the book of Revelation. Who was here for the series Revelation? Hey, don't forget it. Go back and reread it. Because he talked about how God's wrath is coming in the second coming. I don't want my worst enemy to go through the wrath of God. So you know what I'm willing to do? I'm willing to go out, go tell. Tell them about the teachings of Jesus. Gerald Abair did it. Gerald Abair has a huge group with Rain and Crowley, Gerald. Men of God, some may have been unchurched, but you know what happened last Sunday because he went out and he made disciples? They were baptized. They were men. Come on, we can put our hands together for that. God's movement is at work in his mission through his disciples. 
His mission gets accomplished through us. Does he need us? No, but does he want us? Absolutely. I'm trying to motivate and encourage you. Listen, we're going to get off of our seats at Midtown, and we're going to get from these four walls, and we're going out there, and I'm telling you, we're going to change the world right here in Lafayette, Louisiana. Right here in Lafayette, Louisiana. Now, now, what I want to know is who's ready? Who's ready to get off the bench? Who's ready to get up and get in this game and start telling people about the Lord and Savior that changed your life? I'm excited because I know what God did for me. You may be asking, what is a disciple, Pastor Myron? This is your first time coming in. And you're like, this man is just talking. Why is he so, why is he so pumped up today? What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower, a learner, and an imitator of Christ. For those of you who are at Midtown, you heard that Pastor Scott preached that a few weeks ago. These are, this is what happens with disciples. A disciple is called. Matthew 4, 18 through 20, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Look at this. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. They followed him. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? It's simply this, saying yes to his invitation. Jesus is not trying to beat us into submission. Jesus gives us an invitation because he knows it's the best thing for our lives. At one time, I started to wonder, why was I running away from Jesus when all he wanted from me was what's best for my life? He's just looking out for me because he loves me. So it's saying yes to that invitation when you follow him. It's also saying that I understand the cost of following him. Because I, I, it would be remiss if I just told you, hey, go follow Jesus, but not tell you about the cost. The cost is this. You have to repent of your sins. You have to have a change of mind from your old way of life, and you have to start looking towards Jesus and saying, Jesus, I love you. I trust you. I may not understand everything that you're telling me right now, but I'm willing to just go. It doesn't, it may, it, you may, you may step in your sin as Pastor Scott said, you may have a little foot in it every time. We trip up, we all fall short, but you're not going to continue walking in it. You know why? Because Jesus said so. And you trust him. And you believe in him. That's, that's why, right? Following Jesus means I humbly submit my entire self to him. And y'all, I don't want us to just play church. I don't want us to be imitation disciples like that gumbo was. We want to be authentic, genuine disciples of Christ that have been taught by other disciples the word of God and we're being obedient to what the word says so we can go forth and make disciples. That's the mission of God for our lives. Now, you can say, I don't want that mission. But if you don't want that mission to go make disciples, it means that you, you're, you're not a disciple. And so today we want to motivate you. We want to encourage you to jump on the team with us. Because 
right here at Midtown, man, we're about to stir the pot in Lafayette. <laughs> John 15, 16 says this, you did not choose me, that's Jesus speaking, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Now, it's not saying that, it's not disregarding the disciples' decision to follow Jesus. In, in Scripture, the Greek word, when you were talking about ch uh, choosing, it just means this. It's, it means that picking or choosing out of a crowd is putting the emphasis on Jesus. Jesus is the one who came and chose you, Walter. Yet you accepted the invitation. But of all the people in the United States, all the people in your family, Jesus said, I want Walter Arsenault. Stephen Sarver, it's Jesus that came in and said, man, I see Stephen. I see where his life is going. I know what's up with him, but I, but I want him. I'm, I'm going to extend an invitation to you, Stephen, and I want you to accept it because, Stephen, I'm going to change your life around. Kelly Abair, Elise Abair, Jesus chose you. He saw where your life was going. But Jesus said, God loved those two. Man, I'm going to bring them together, and I'm going to make some disciple makers out of those two. Mr. Brett and Son He. Boy, Jesus just came and said, hold me. I'm going to fill them with the spirit of God because I'm going to make them disciple makers. They're going to go ahead and lead prayer, and they're going to teach people how to pray in Jesus' name. Oh, Miss Son He. And they're going to change the world. He chose you. Now we act like that's all. That's about. If Sean Payton came in here and he went to a high school and he said, hey, young man, I want you to play for the New Orleans Saints, that family would get ecstatic. What? My son's going to play for the Saints? Going, man, I mean, the, uh, the whole school would go nuts. And I give this example. I hope I'm not embarrassing my son. My son is getting some letters from, like, Johns Hopkins. Well, he's smarter than me and his mom. I mean, West Point, Ivy League schools, all these little, some little, some schools, they're so private, I haven't even heard of them. And... We give him the letters that's coming in the mail, and he's like, mm, okay, Dad. Put, and I gave him a little box. I'm like, man, you, you got to remember this, man. I'm pumped. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, Dad. Box. Like, Mason, this is Johns Hopkins, son. What are you talking about? But he doesn't understand the value of what he's getting on who's choosing him. That's the same thing in Christianity sometimes. When Jesus comes in, and he says, Frank Brown, I choose you. When Jesus chooses you, man, this is a celebration. Why, why do you think when people come to salvation in church, it shouldn't be like, oh, great job, good Christian, awesome. I'll see you next Sunday. It says the angels in heaven, they are what? They're celebrating because Jesus chose them. 
So I'm hoping that in this church, I don't know about the rest of them that's out there, but I'm hoping that right here, the body of Christ right here, that when Jesus chooses you, that you're going to get pumped up, you'll be excited, and you're ready to do whatever Jesus has you to do. Come on, Midtown. If Jesus is special to you, we got to give him some praise. So not only is a disciple called, but a disciple is taught. We have to imitate and obey. Uh Uh-oh, that that word, that obedience word. We have to obey. Look what Matthew 28, 20 says. Teaching them to observe what? Obey all that I have commanded you. (laughs) I asked in my small group, I asked one of them, like, why is it so hard? Why why do we get scared of obeying? He said, well, I'm thinking about my parents when they said obedience. It meant them spanking me. (laughs) And I said, me too. <laughs> we serve a gentle God. We serve a patient God. We obey because we love him. If you love me, obey my commands. Our God just wants what's best for you. He's lived on this life. He's created you. He created this world. He knows what sin has done in this world, and he just wants to save us from it. When you hear the word obedience, don't run away from that word. It's not like what you think. It may not be what you've experienced in your own earthly family. We're talking about our spiritual family right now. Jesus is gentle. A disciple learns and applies the teachings of Jesus to his daily life by the help of the Holy Spirit. Look at what Jesus said, and this is for leaders too. John 5, 19, Jesus says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can only do, I'm sorry, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And that's Jesus. Jesus is hearing from the Father, and he's speaking to his disciples and the people of this world. He's not just grabbing some stuff off. So you, we got to be careful in our discipleship groups that we don't just start grabbing things and start making it our own and start trying to inf- infiltrate all that mess into the people of God. We got to be cautious with God's people. Jesus heard from the Father. All that he heard from the Father, he's made known to his disciples. I don't ever want to go in my group, in my D group so I can sound cool, I never want to go in that group and start telling men my opinions because my opinions can hurt them. I want to always lead men of God, men and women of God to the heart of God, the word of God. This is what happened when you're looking at the life of Jesus, how he modeled it for us disciples. I'm going to call you disciple makers because we're going to just prophesy that in the air for you guys. Leaders don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. Jesus taught his disciples about fellowship, about prayer, about observing baptism and communion. And he just didn't talk about that. He demonstrated it for them. They can see it in his life. And when disciples teach, the church expands its reach. If you don't 
listen to anything today, I want you to listen to this. We are called to make disciples who make disciples. Instead of complaining about what's going on in this world, take action. All I keep hearing, oh, the world is getting bad. Oh, the people are doing this. Oh, when I grew up, when I was a little boy, I wouldn't do all this stuff. Who cares? Who cares? When I was a little boy, yeah, I had my, I lived in, I grew up in Mamou, Louisiana. Then I moved to Lake Charles, and Mamou was a whole lot different time than what it was now. But you think my son wants to hear about that? Dad, what are you doing now? You keep bringing old time stuff. Yeah, you did this, Dad. Oh, you didn't have this. You didn't have Air Jordans. There was no Air Jordans when you grew up. He doesn't care. And so when we keep bringing these things up among Christians, oh, this was like this. I can't believe the world is going like this. You know what Jesus said, that consistent? Go and make disciples. If you want the world to be a better place, you can do your part, jump on mission, go and make disciples. You don't have to sit and complain about anything because we serve a sovereign God. God sees what's going on, and you know what? He's still all-powerful. And when we do what God calls us to do, you know what will happen? It'll be a radical change starting right here in Acadiana. A disciple is also caught. Go and share Jesus, as I just mentioned. Look at Matthew 4.19. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you what? Y'all see it. What's that? Jesus wants to use us by working in us to expand the kingdom of God. He wants to use us to go and get lost people. If you want to affect the world, if you want to change this world, make disciples. You know why? Because disciples have been taught Jesus Christ, and eventually the Holy Spirit is working in them. I'm not saying disciples are perfect. We know Jesus' disciples. They messed up. But you know what happened to Jesus' disciples? They were, they were all killed for, because they loved Jesus, because of preaching the gospel, and they changed the world. Peter, who denied Jesus at one point, all of a sudden, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. Y'all heard that message, right, the other week? Day of Pentecost, he starts to preach the word of God, and 3,000 people are saved. He changed the world. I don't want to sit about and sit and soak about what's going on in the United States of America right now. But all these things going on, this and that and that and that. You know what I got to concentrate on? Save souls. If I just get one. There's a young man in here today, and I wasn't supposed to really do this. His name is Aaron Akins. He came to the church the other day, and Aaron... He was so down. He's from Baltimore, Maryland. Never seen him in my life. He came into Midtown one day, and he came in and needed somebody to talk to. He was crying. His mother had just passed away, and he needed a bus ticket to get to New Orleans so he can go and see her. Now, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, okay, cool, fine. Aaron came. He said, you know, Pastor Mount, I heard about Jesus. I, I just don't really know him. And so we just started talking. There were tears in Aaron's eyes. And then we, I just started to talk about how Jesus loved him. I know your mother is gone, but Jesus is a father to the fatherless. He's a mother to the motherless. Aaron, and you're in here today, Aaron. You're in here right now, Aaron. I want you to know, Aaron, that Jesus has you. I won't embarrass you today. 
I saw him before service, and I'm telling you, Aaron, that Jesus loves you. When you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you're now a son of God. And God is going to sustain you through this, even in your grief and your hurt. There's something about the Holy Spirit that comes back and brings peace, Aaron. And Aaron's sitting at that table now, and he's crying. And I mean, I am barely holding it in because I see a young man who needs Jesus. And God just happened to use me and choose me so that I can be an instrument of God and give him the gospel so that Aaron can bring his life to Christ. And so, Aaron, what I'm telling you right now, Aaron, is this. Yes, Jesus saved you, but he didn't just save you. Aaron, he wants you to produce some fruit. There are some disciples, Aaron, that you're going to go out there. You're going to make disciples out there, and God will use you, Aaron. God, he changed your life, Aaron. Whenever you said yes to him, your life is changed. You're a new creation. It doesn't matter what you did in the city of Baltimore back in the day. He's forgiven you of all of that, Aaron. Right now, God is going to put you on that mission, and you're going to do some wonderful work. That's what's going to happen to you, Aaron. If you want to make an impact in the body of Christ... Make disciples. Because listen to this. When we make disciples, when we go catch them, we're fishers of men. Look what happens. The church grows in depth. We go deeper. The church grows in size. The church grows in strength. Y'all, we have power. We have power. We have so much power. I don't even know if we understand how much power that the church has through Christ. I want to introduce you to some fishers of men and women. I, I just want you to see, because I know sometimes in Scripture, we, it's, it's hard to visualize some things and we we'll say, oh, that happened in the old days. That happened in the biblical, biblical days. Oh, yeah, Jesus was with them, so they could do it because Jesus was there. Jesus is still with us. The Holy Spirit is here today. And we want to invite some fishers of men and women on the stage. And so we ask that they come up. And these are our D group, discipleship group leaders. And these people coming on stage, they've been making disciples for a long time. Fishers of men and women. Going out and catching them. And I want to just let you see the different groups that we have. But, but I want you to know this. It's not the groups that's going to save you. We're going to get in those groups, but every last one of these groups, you, you know what the focal point is? And the center of attention is going to be in every last one of those groups? Jesus. We're not going to make it complicated for you. We're not going to fake something and try to bait and switch you. You're going to get fellowship in those groups. You're going to get prayer in those groups. You're going to get encouragement in those groups because that's what disciples do. But there's something for everyone in this room. It's not one person that's going to be missing. And we want to challenge you because I believe the church has to challenge people. We want to challenge you to be a part of these groups so that you can be led by the Holy Spirit so that you can come back and get some teachings from Jesus Christ and go out and make disciples. We're not just having you there 
just to have a group and a little, par- and a little party. This is equipping you. And then God's going to empower you to go out there and make disciples. And you know what's going to happen in Midtown Campus, Pastor Scott? You're going to have to break these walls down. Because it'll be so many people coming in. And, and, and hey, they want that Sunday morning experience because, yeah, they're going to hear the word of God. But they're going to be motivated, Pastor Scott, by what you say through the Holy Spirit using you. And they're going to go out and bust these walls down. And you're going to say, God, Pastor Jacob, we're going to have to build a new building. I don't know what's going on with this place. It's just, it's not enough room because we're going to do it God's way. And so we want to invite you, women's group, outreach, men, prayer, finance, marriage, all of these individuals, all of these leaders, they're going to be in our foyer area. And after service, all you have to do is accept the invitation. All you have to do is say yes. It doesn't take, it doesn't take a whole lot and a whole lot of theology so you can be a disciple. And we're going to walk you through that. But we want you to be a part of our spiritual family and let you know that we're serious. This is not a season. This is a lifestyle. Y'all hear me? It's not like, oh, this semester, let's be a disciple this semester. And then in the summer, no more disciples. This is about we're going to be disciples every single day of the week. We're going to be holy because God is holy and we're ready to change the world. Are y'all ready to change the world? Come on, are y'all ready to change the world? Good, thank y'all so much. A lot of times we talk about the bad things going on in this world. But I want to tell you a story about something that absolutely touched my heart. Absolutely blew me away. There was a married couple. They're from the Middle East. And they had been giving humanitarian aid to Syrian refugees for years. And because they had been there for such a long time, they got close to a group of women. And in there, God spoke to the man's wife. And so she arranged for a showing of a film called The Magdalena, subtitled Released from Shame. It was a film about and portraying how Jesus loves women. Magdalena. In scripture, Mary Magdalene was from the city of Magdalena. And this event would be held in the Middle East now. Because this is not the United States of America. This is in the Middle East. Where Islam... It's the main religion. And so it was going to be held at a church. So in her mind, if 25 people, maybe 25 come. But she said this, when we arrived at the church, she was in complete shock. She said the church was like a sea of black. Because women were coming in dressed in their traditional gowns 
head covered in black and all she could see was like the Black Sea. They just kept pouring and pouring in, shoulder to shoulder, head to toe, and there wasn't a seat left. And she said when she saw that, something that hit her, she got scared. She got scared because she didn't know what they would do to her for showing them a Christian film. And many of these ladies, their husbands were radical Islamic men. So she said she started to pray. She went before the Lord and she said she was praying to herself and she looked at them. She said the eyes that they stared at her, it was like hatred. And she got even more scared. And she said, God, this is your problem. You're going to have to fix it. And she started projecting that film on the screen. And she expected a lot of women just to bolt out of there, to get out of there, just angry, mad. That's what she expected. She said, but no one moved an inch. They just kept on watching. And then when the film came to the crucifixion scene, she said they just started to stare. Their eyes were just on their screen, their ears just listening. And then the film went to the resurrection scene, okay, which was was another offensive concept. Resurrection, Jesus Christ in Syria. She said everyone stayed, not one woman left, and they were just taking it all in. And when the film ended, she said the spirit of God moved on her. She went to the front of the room and she prayed silently. She said, God, listen to this. She said, God, you are in control. I can't do this. And she said, God gave her some boldness. She walked out to these women and she said this. I know you lost your homes. All your possessions. You're in a refugee camp. And some of you, you've even lost your sons and your husbands. I know you're hurting, but God has brought you here. You've seen the God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. You have a choice. And then she got even bolder as she started to profess the gospel of God. She got bolder. She went from being fearful and this boldness came in and she raised her left hand up. And she said this, she said, you can either follow the dead founder of your religion and go to hell. And then she picked up her right hand, she said, or you can receive Jesus, the living God who died for you and was raised for your life. She said, you can receive him and have eternal life. And then she just looked at the crowd of women and she said, will you pray with me? if you want to follow Jesus. And she said, as she started to pray, cries, women were weeping, many had tears. And look at what they were saying. She was praying and she heard this. They started to say, Yeshua, or Jesus, is the true way, the true God. She said, I couldn't believe it, y'all. 
I then asked those who wanted to follow Jesus to raise their hands. So she thought she thought it was probably going to be maybe 20 at the most. Every woman in that room, all 200 of them raised their hands and said, we want to follow Jesus. She said they began to take off their head coverings. Their angry and hopeless faces changed. They were released from shame. They were beaming with joy. And look at this. They began hugging one another. And this is what they told her. They told a woman, they said, thank you, thank you. For the first time in our lives, we know we're loved. For the first time in our lives, we know that we're loved. The power of the gospel came in, touched their hearts, and they accepted Jesus Christ. And look at what they said. Can you give us DVDs? Because we don't want this power just to remain just with us. We don't want this to just be with us. We've got to go tell our friends and family. We want to show them this film. They wanted to be disciples of Jesus Christ right on the spot. That's in the Middle East. That's when Christians are persecuted and Christians are killed. And these women said, it doesn't matter what I experience with Jesus Christ. I want my family to experience that. And so today, we want to invite you and Jesus is inviting you to follow him. There may be someone here today who's struggling Maybe someone who's just lost in sin, don't know which way to go. And I'm telling you today that Jesus is inviting you to be a part of his kingdom, to be a part of his spiritual family. And he wants you. Jesus wants you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, because if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so right now with every head bowed, all eyes closed, nobody's watching but me. You don't have to be embarrassed. There may be someone today that says, I want to follow Jesus. Just like the women in Syria, just like those refugees, I want to follow Jesus. And if that's you today, those 200 women, they raised their hands boldly. And if that's you, nobody's watching, will you just put your hand up? Is there anybody today that want to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Thank you. Thank you. Today, before I close, let us just pray. Father, thank you today, God, that you're going to raise some disciples in this house and they're going to make disciples. God, we're going to be obedient to your word. We're going to love people. And God, thank you that you will use us to radically change this world. Father, I pray that you would just touch our hearts and our minds. Give us a renewed spirit, God, so we can see things as you see it. Give us revelation, God. Help us to grow. 
Help us to care and have compassion for your people. And God, I ask that you use us in a mighty way. Thank you for this spiritual family. I pray, God, that you will continue to grow us, continue to nurture us, God. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We lift you up. We thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen.